It didn't take much more than a bottle and two chairs to make a speakeasy. This is what Daniel Okrent said in his book, Last Call, The Rise and Fall of Prohibition. Today, join us for some stories. Get your own bottle, glass, mug, and relax. This is Speak Easily, and I'm your host, Krista Stauffer. So he's just trying to say his favorite place is to lay like right on my boob. And Brendan's like, I mean, I don't blame him. That's, uh, you know, <laughs> he's a boy cat and that's OK. That's true. Yeah. I, I drew the line at him watching me in the shower. I'm like, we're done. Like, that's weird. We don't do they this. do that. So we have like the shower curtain liner that's clear and then like the fancy shower curtain. Yeah. Liner. He'll crawl in between the two and he just sits there. And oh, I'm gosh. like, nope, no, dude, this not. I'm not. I'm no. Not. There was one time he tried to like lean on the shower curtain and <laughs> fell in. I'm like, see, that's what you get. That's what happens. Oh, no. I shut the door. I'm a I'm a shut the door person. I'm not, but I am now. Well, if you've got a cat creeping on your shower. That's... I think he's reincarnated a pervert. Oh, probably. I mean, cats do have nine <laughs> lives. I guess that's <laughs> one of them. <laughs> let's see. I just finished the saint life. It's time for perv. All right. Let's life. do perv. Let's do perv. done perv yet. <laughs> What shall we do? Ooh, shower time. <laughs> well, hello. I'm just the cat. Oh, gosh. Like, even when the kids were really, really little and I'd have to put them, like, in a seated position or something in the mm-hmm. bathroom, it was sort of like, um, I, like I like my privacy. <laughs> I, don't, I don't, I don't know. We've always been kind of a modest, yeah, shut the door kind of family. So, yeah, it's weird. Mm-hmm. I li- I've lived alone up in, you know, obviously not my childhood, but... I lived alone forever, so I'm just used to never closing doors and just whatever. That makes sense. So I, don't know I will. I had a conversation with this about going to the bathroom. I lock the door all the time. Really? Doesn't matter if I'm the only one. I have. I think I have a fear of dying on the toilet. <laughs> of like somebody coming in and I'm doing my biz, and I don't okay. want that. No, that would be an awful place. But if you just like have a massive heart attack or something on the toilet, they're not gonna be able to get to you. Doors locked. Well, that's but I'd be dead. <laughs> it's true. That's They'd be true. like, "Oh, she at least had some <laughs> some consideration of privacy before she died." <laughs> I mean, it's an irrational fear. Even when I'm here, yeah. I will lock the front door. I will lock the bathroom door. Really? Yes. I don't know why I'm so scared of. I just bathroom door open. I don't care. I know. It's so funny about <laughs> like different habits of people in public bathrooms. Oh, yeah. You know, like... Obviously, there, I will close and lock the door. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd be like, what's up, <laughs> hey, everybody? Right. Hello. Just Taking doing a number, two, number two today. Yeah, number over two. here. It's something that everybody does, and yeah. yet people are so weird about it. I know. Like, I can't poop in public. Like, ev- oh, literally no. everybody I have poops. no issue pooping in public. I really don't either. You gotta go, you gotta go. You gotta go. What I don't like is the warm toilet seat. Oh, that is going. a little weird. Yeah, it's a little weird. <laughs> You're like, oh, someone was here mm. for a while. I, I, like, I know if I'm on a public toilet, mm-hmm. other butts have been there. I'm Many well other aware butts. of that. Yeah. I just don't want to be reminded. That's true. It's like, oh, somebody was just here. Yeah, yeah. It's always fascinating, too, to find out who is a bathroom talker and who's not? Oh. You know, like if you're talking to somebody, and I work at the Ohio Theater, so there's a lot of us that are using mm-hmm. the restrooms at the same time, and who will continue the conversation yeah. once you're both seated? Yeah. I don't mind. Yeah. It's still, I don't start the conversation. I would say I won't start, but if somebody's talking to me, yeah. Yep. Okay. Like, well, yep, we're well, doing this. Continue on. <laughs> it's not, yeah. And then the where do you go in the stall? Like if there's three stalls, do you go? Keep one separate. Oh, there's always a stall, one stall buffer. I kind of feel like buffer. that too. Unless it's, unless there's just no choice. No choice. But if there's like three stalls and somebody's mm-hmm. on one on the end, you use the other end. It just feels it. right. Mm-hmm. I know the guys have talked about the urinal courtesy. Oh, yeah. 
Not that I know. You got to have a, at least one urinal bucket. Yes. And I'm, I'm thankful to have shut doors. I like, again, I need it locked. Mm-hmm. I don't want to die in there. Yeah. Now, it'd be easier to get me out under the door. That's true. With, when the heart attack happens. <laughs> well, yeah, Unless I've locked the initial door and then we're just then, screwed. Then you're screwed. Totally screwed. Let's break the door down. Yeah, there's definitely urinal etiquette. I, you have, I have to, no doubt. Yeah, no, like if there's absolutely. a line of them, you go as far away, right? The first one is taken. You're the only person in there. You take the first urinal. Okay. Uh, and then even if it's the shorty guy. There's a shorty? Oh, yeah. Why is there a shorty? Like for kids? kids. Oh. Yeah. You know, for kids. <laughs> <laughs> you know, for kids. Okay. But then you always leave a space between. Okay. You just go. But you do not speak to people. No. No. Talk a little closer to the mic. Right Rub your back a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> That's awful. Hey buddy, how you doing? <laughs> Everything coming out okay? Yeah, looks good. Doing all right there? Oh. No. Yeah. Oh. Oh, oh, you're all peeing in the same thing. Oh. I have. No. I've seen them, yeah. I don't go. Ben, I don't know if you know this about me, but I don't tend to go into men's bathrooms and stadiums. I have. I always use men's <laughs> bathrooms. They're never crowded. That's true. I don't really want to think about it. The urinal cake is bad enough. Don't call it a cake. It's not a not cake. cake. I don't want to eat You it. associate cake with happy things like birthdays, not urinals. Yeah. That's my opinion on that. Oh, my gosh. Wow. This um, is this, this going on a B-roll? This is, is no, this is the actual podcast. This is how we roll. <laughs> this is what we do. We Talk don't about make plans. We, yeah. We have a lot of bathroom conversations on here. I don't know why. It's speak easily. So I guess it's like, yeah. let's just talk oh, about things that come just, naturally. Well, Oy. are those uncomfortable things like death? Like death. Oh, oh what a transition. <laughs> <laughs> so you go by Nikki the death doula. Yes, I do. Which is incredible. Thank you. It's the word doula, obviously, I didn't ever hear until kind of recent. I mean, I know it's been a thing for a long time, but yeah. just with birthing, you know, yeah. that's sort of when it came into my perspective but a doula is basically an assistant in the process yes right in the life process and if you want to know the history of the yeah word, tell me the, uh, <laughs> tell me the, doula, the doulistery if you will no just briefly the the word doula comes from the greek ancient greek word doule which basically means um female maid servant mm. so or female servant so doulas have been around for millennia oh, forever for a lot of different things, not just birth, but most people yeah. associate them with birth. Mm-hmm. Um, but death doulas are just kind of modeled off that same principle of perf- of providing uh, non medical support. Okay, yeah, just helping, yeah. being the the human yes assistant, if you will. Yeah, exactly. Oh, wow. So, what do you? Somebody approaches you. What are the right. typical approachings that you get? <laughs> I'm not speaking well today. This is not a speak easily kind of day. Apparently not. <laughs> like in just general public, somebody mm-hmm. like, what do you do for a living? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I can explain it pretty easily by just saying, you know, like a birth doula, I provide non-medical support to the dying. Um, but a lot of what I do is education, mm-hmm. guidance, um, and just – knowledge giving so mm-hmm. that um, the dying and their families can make informed decisions about right. what they want out of life. Because you don't know what you don't know. True. 
Um, so, and you don't think about it. No. There are a lot of things you won't think about until it's too late or mm -hmm. it's like right in your face. Mm -hmm. And uh, if it's something like a terminal diagnosis or somebody has just passed away, um, you're grieving. Mm -hmm. You're going through a lot emotionally and spiritually, so you don't want to have to think about, like, did I fill out this form correctly? Or what yeah. forms do I need? Or where do mm -hmm. I need to go for this or that? Um, so just having somebody else to kind of take that for you so that you can just focus on grieving. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Wow. Or being present if somebody's in the dying process. So is it something that you recommend, like, when people receive a terminal illness, like yeah. that's the time to start. Yeah. That's the time to. And honestly, like I can help people who aren't even sick. I work mm -hmm. with people our age just putting advanced directive paperwork together or okay. putting together a plan of what you want to happen, how you want your final month. I mean, we don't always get to choose, right? Mm -hmm. But Bathrooms, yeah. Yeah, bathroom accidents happen all, every day. <laughs> they do. <laughs> I don't want to know the stats, no. <laughs> You're not wrong. But, um, I mean, you get hit by a bus tomorrow, too. Mm -hmm. But th especially things like medical power of attorney and living will. Mm -hmm. Like, for if you're over 18, put that crap together because yeah. if you're in a comatose state, if you, especially if you don't get along with your family and you mm -hmm. don't want them making your medical decisions, yeah, that's true. you got to get that in writing. It's things that we don't like to think about. I know. How did you get to doing this? I mean, this is not a typical, like, no course of action. <laughs> no, no, it's not. Um, I mean, I've always been kind of a little weird and morbid. Um, <laughs> it's the theater in me, I uh -huh. guess. Oh, yeah. But I've always also felt passionately about helping people and yeah. specifically working with the elderly. I worked in a nursing home for a mm. long time when I was younger, mm -hmm. and I really enjoyed my time there. And um, I had heard about death doulas maybe a decade or so ago. Mm -hmm. And I just kept thinking, that is so freaking cool. How amazing would that be, like, yeah. to do something like that? And it was just one of those, but not me. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. And then fast forward to COVID, when we're all stuck at home, mm -hmm. and literally everybody's reevaluating their entire life. Mm -hmm. uh, I hadn't been happy at my day job in a long time, mm -hmm. like four or five years by mm -hmm. that point, which is way too long. That's, that's a long time. And way yeah. too long to be unhappy yep. in everything. And I just thought, you know what? I'm 40. I'm in my mid-40s now, and, like— Call it your midlife crisis. I want to do yeah. something more meaningful yeah. with my life instead of, you know, working on IT crap at a company mm -hmm. that I will not be named. Um, <laughs> like, there are more fulfilling things I can do with my life. And I kept – I talked to a life coach. Mm -hmm. And she had me go through, like, you know, what's meaningful to me? What's powerful to me? What am I passionate about? Mm -hmm. And this death doula thing kept coming back up. She's like, so just do that. And I just needed somebody to say it's okay to just do that for me to actually yeah. do it, <laughs> you know? Okay. So I signed up for training through the International End of Life Doula Association. So there's a, there's a thing. Oh, there's multiple different Multiple, trainings. okay. Yeah. There's no overarching, like, certification process. Mm -hmm. It's not like nursing. There's no certification board. But there are different um, organizations that do training for this. Okay. And I would recommend training. Oh, yeah. Um, this isn't something you just like, no. I think I'll do this today. Well, a lot of people I've run into that do this work have worked in hospice mm -hmm. for years. Mm -hmm. And they're like, I'm done with being a nurse. I don't want to do that part anymore. Yeah. I just want to do this part of the job. But there's still other things you have to learn. Oh, yeah. Other things That's. That I mean, it's a lot of yeah. medical yeah. learning, I'm sure. Yeah. Like, even though you're not doing the medical side of it. Oh, yeah. We still have, we had a whole section on like, you know, what happens biologically with when your body's shutting down. Okay. So, so what happens biologically <laughs> when you're, I'm, no, I'm fascinated by yeah, this. Yeah. No, it's, it's interesting because as, if you're working with a family, like if I'm working with a family and this is the first time they've witnessed somebody dying, mm -hmm. it can be frightening. Mm -hmm. It can be unnerving. And especially if you don't know what to expect and you mm -hmm. see something weird or something mm -hmm. that might be a little icky and you're like, oh my God, that's not normal. What's happening? Yeah. Just to have that knowledge of, no, no, that's going to happen. Mm. Um, but it depends on what 
the diseases, how the person's dying. So somebody like end stages of cancer. Yeah. What does that look like? So once you start entering into active dying, um, the person will be a little less responsive. Mm-hmm. They might still respond to touch. Mm-hmm. You might one thing to look for is like if they're furrowing their brow or like shifting a lot. They're uncomfortable. That's mm. that's nonverbal communication. We know that they need a little more help with pain, mm. pain management. Um, but your digestive system is one of the first things to start to shut down, hmm. um, which is why a lot of people don't even voluntarily stop eating and drinking. They just stop because they can't anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, swallowing becomes difficult. So <clears throat> your body knows how to shut itself down, mm-hmm. which is why we tell people don't interfere, don't try to feed people, don't right. try to give them water, let them do what they're going to do. And that'll start to shut down Um your pulse will start to slow down. Mm-hmm. And this can take days. This isn't... Yeah. Sometimes it takes a matter of hours. Sometimes it takes weeks. Oh, jeez. But your circulation will start to slow down, so you'll lose uh, blood flow in your extremities first. Mm-hmm. You might see blue fingertips. Uh, toes will turn different colors. You might see modeling, which is where blood pools a little mm-hmm. bit, especially if they're in one position, which is why they try to rotate yeah. a little bit. Yeah. They'll try to sit you up so you're not pooling in the chest. Mm. Because um, they can suffocate that way. This, if this is too gross, let me know. <laughs> I, I'm not a no. I, okay. I'm also a theater kid, so it's fascinating. I mean, it's yeah. sad. It's it hurts, but it's yeah. It's nor- It's life. It is. It's absolutely normal. And to me, I like explaining these to people. Like, oh God, I don't want to see that. And I don't want. Like, well, well, you don't want to, but it's going to happen. Yeah. I mean, eventually, yeah. there's a one out of one person will die. Hundred <laughs> yeah. percent mortality rate with these human people. Funny how that works. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we're at hundred percent right now. Yep. <laughs> Um, yeah. And, you know, breathing will slow. Um, and then within the final like hours, you apnea will start where there'll be long pauses in breathing, a little yeah. bit of gasping. You will, you've heard of the death rattle. Everybody's mm-hmm. heard of the death rattle. Mm-hmm. A lot of times that's just pooling in the lungs okay. of either blood or fluid. Um, so you'll hear that kind of gurgly sound. Mm-hmm. It's unnerving. It's hard to listen yeah, to. But there's nothing that. But there's nothing you can do about it. That's why uh, they'll, nine times out of 10 have you in a hospital bed. Mm-hmm. Everybody says they want to die in their own bed. I get it. I would too. Right. But, but it's not feasible because no. medical staff has to get to you and everything. So they'll sit you up a little bit so it at least drains down. Mm-hmm. And then eventually your heart will just stop and your breathing stops. Wow. That's. It's rough to hear. But again, I think it's what you're doing is so good for people mm-hmm. because we can't just do this, you know? Yeah. And you're going to have to face it sooner or later. Absolutely. And yeah. it sucks. It's sad. It does. But And as a society, I know we've gotten into used to other people dealing with this crap for us. Mm-hmm. You know, we put people in nursing homes. I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Yeah. We don't, we're not set up as a society to just have our parents at home with mm-hmm. us. It's not feasible. Um at least not in Western culture. Sometimes it is. Most times it's just not. It's so not. they're going to be somewhere else. So mm-hmm. other people tend to deal with this. So it is a little easy for us to stick our fingers in our ears mm-hmm. and say, I'm not going to worry about it. Yeah. Or somebody um, else can. Yeah. Or let somebody else do it. So, but more, I'm finding more and more people now want to be part of that process, mm-hmm. which is beautiful to me. I would want to be with my mom in yeah. the final days, yeah. you know, um, or my father or my husband, anybody, I, I wouldn't want to leave that on somebody else. Like, mm-hmm. even if they're in a facility or in a nursing home, right. I want to be present. Yeah. Well, and I think that, that that would be good for the person dying, too, yeah. to know. Like, yeah, absolutely. Surrounded by loved ones. That's what you always want to hear. Exactly. You know? And that's another place I can come in if they don't have any family left. Mm-hmm. Or if they truly just don't have anybody. So they're not yeah. alone. Right. With strangers coming in and moving tubes. Yeah. And, yeah. Do you, this is terribly sad. Do you have to deal with children often? No, not yet. Okay. I have had one request for a child with uh, brain cancer. 
Um, I have I haven't come in to meet the family yet. I've mm-hmm. the, some friends have contacted me a few times just asking for advice on what to do. And it's not there's no prognosis yet as far as when this child's end of life will come, mm. but it is uncurable. So yeah. That's a lot to swallow. I for yeah. me that would be the most difficult. Yeah. I just had a conversation with somebody about that the other day. She's a pediatrician, mm-hmm. and she's really helping me out with something. I was like, if I can ever be of service to you, mm-hmm. she goes, I love you, but I never want to have to contact you. That's true. Yeah. And I don't, I'm uh, like, fair enough. You, you do have one of those <laughs> careers enough. that people would rather not have to yeah. deal yeah. with. But. And she, you know, she's mentioned having to treat kids who have had cancer oh. or who have passed away. Yeah. And uh, she's like, I hate it. I hate everything about it. That's yep. why I want to make them better. I want to focus on them right. getting well. Right. I'm like, good. <laughs> we need people but like you in this world. Degree, there's but sometimes oh, there's it's so just not going to happen. No. Man. When you were working in nursing homes, did you experience a lot of end of life? and A little. Um, I was never present when anybody died. Um mm-hmm. I think they tried to keep like lower staff away from that. Mm-hmm. I was a I was a runner. I did okay. a lot of like dropping stuff off. Yeah. I went to the um, apartments to like give people meds, things like that. Um, but I did do companion work where I just sat with people, mm-hmm. um, especially those who had fall risks. Oh. I had to kind of sit there, and when mm-hmm. they had to get up to go to the bathroom, I'd walk with them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I did. I had one lady who was starting. By the time I was getting ready to leave that job, she was entering active dying, mm-hmm. and I was with her probably about two days before she passed. Mm-hmm. What are certain things during that active dying process that like that you do or that's good for the family? Like what sort of things happen? Because that's, a, like you said, it can be a long process. It can. Um, giving people breaks is mm-hmm. huge, uh, especially if there's only one caretaker, a yeah. daughter or son or maybe two or three people. To sit and watch somebody in that stage for 24-7 for maybe a week is too much. Mm-hmm. Nobody should do that. Mm-hmm. You have to take a break. And it's the fear probably of like yeah. if I step away. That's when mom's going to go. Mm-hmm. And that happens a lot. Yeah. It happens. So many people tell me I was there and the minute I went to get coffee, she died. Mm-hmm. A lot of times subconsciously that person waits until they're alone. Interesting. It's a weird instinct. Like mm-hmm. animals do that. They do. Animals yeah. wander off in the desert Is to it die by themselves. cats that usually cats, go hide? Mm-hmm, they'll go hide when they're ready to die. And uh, there's something in our brains that are like we don't want to expose other people to that. Mm-hmm. Whether it's an you know ancient instinct of passing disease on, mm-hmm. which isn't really the case, but um, it's like we just want to wait till we're alone for mm-hmm. that. I don't, I can't explain it. Um, hmm. Maybe there's a reason for it. Yeah, but do you feel like the the person, even if they're comatose or can't can't really function per se toward the end of life, do you think they can still hear things? And absolutely, you've seen that happen. Oh, absolutely. And you, like I said, they'll get nonverbal communication sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, they they might stop responding. Like sometimes they might not be speaking and you come in and say, hey, mom, it's me. And she might squeeze your hand a little mm-hmm. bit or like just move slightly. And they may stop, but I, I still firmly believe they can still hear you. And you think the notion of, you know, when people say like it's okay to go or give permission to yeah. or step away and yeah. you feel like that's a thing. Absolutely. Like, wow. Absolutely. It's crazy. And some people will continue to hang on. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's somebody I'm working with right now whose grandmother is just refusing to go, and we nobody can figure out why. Hmm. Nobody can figure out why she's holding on so hard. We've brought everybody in. Everybody has yeah. said their goodbyes to her. Everybody has told her it's she's okay. Still on. She is still just fighting. Hmm. That's so. so hard. I know. She's 105. <gasps> 
Oh my gosh. I mean, that's a life lived. Oh, right. It's a long time. Everybody's like, she seemed to the point where she's like, I hate saying this, but I wish she would just die. I'm like, no, that's fair. She's, yeah. She's suffering. Yeah. You know, at a certain point. I mean, it's it's interesting. I I read something about like, you know, when when an animal is ill mm -hmm. and not going to be able to live life happily, mm -hmm. we take care of that. Yeah. We we calmly and respectfully let them go. Yeah. I wish we would do that for humans. Well, you can in 10 states. Interesting. Yeah. 10 states. Not Ohio. Not Ohio. Of course not. Ohio, Ohio is going to be the last. Of course. Uh, but no, 10 states in the District of Columbia, uh, medical aid and dying is what it's called. Okay. Uh, we're, we don't use the word assisted suicide. Yeah, it's not, that's not it. Not PC. No. <laughs> but, um, yeah, medical aid and dying is legal in 10 different states. It's, mm -hmm. I, I don't know if I could remember them all. Oregon, Washington, California, Colorado, Vermont. He's all track so far, yeah. New York. <laughs> uh, Nevada. There's three more. Progressive states. Yeah, yeah that makes the progressive sense. Progressive states. Uh -huh. So Ohio will be the last. Oh, of course. Of course. Absolutely. Next to West Virginia. Mm -hmm. But in that process, like, do they – obviously, there's probably a huge undergoing of – Oh, yeah. Talking through things and oh yeah, you have to have. There's a huge process you have to go through to have that. You have to still be of like sound mind and body. Mm -hmm. So, unfortunately, this is not eligible for dementia patients, mm. Alzheimer's, Ugh. unless they are still mentally sound enough, and their mm -hmm. doctor has to clear it. Um, even then, most doctors won't because you're not mm -hmm. physically frail enough at that point. Right. Um, but you have to have, I think, two. I think it depends on the state too, but most of them, it's two different doctors that confirm that there is no hope for cure, mm -hmm. there is no more possible treatment, and that this person is at end of life, uh, they have to sign off on it. You have to go through a, a psychological evaluation mm -hmm. to make sure you're mm -hmm. of sound mind. Um, and then once it's approved, there's a wait period because, you know, some people might change their mind. Mm -hmm. That actually happens so more often. Really? Oh, yeah. Mm. Sometimes the day will come. They'll show up with the medications, and the person will say, I changed my mind. And that's okay. You're allowed. You're right. absolutely allowed. You may yeah. have to go through the process again. Sometimes they'll give you a grace period mm. um, to wait a few more days if that's what you want. Mm -hmm. But they'll give you – and the other stipulation is you have to be able to ingest the medicine yourself. Okay. Nobody can give it to you. So um, if it's a uh, case of like ALS, unfortunately, mm -hmm. a lot okay. of times those people can't swallow anymore. Yeah. So they're unless they if they can physically hold a plunger to put it in IV they mm -hmm. can but most times they don't have the dexterity anymore. Right. So it's it's very unfortunate that it's not it's not a possibility for mm -hmm. all disease. Mm -hmm. So golly, I know it's rough. I know, but it's at least we're getting there. We're getting right. There. Yeah. Baby steps. Yes, baby steps. Because that's you know you think about your own mortality and mm -hmm. what you want and what. Yeah, like, I don't want to stick around. Yeah, I know that I'm. I, I'm not saying. I'd like to go now. Right. Because I have to go to the bathroom and there we go back to the whole fear <laughs> thing. But, you know, it's like I'm okay if it happens tomorrow. Yeah. I'm not worried. I don't want to hang on though. I don't want to yeah. hurt. I don't want – Make sure you have a, a advanced directive paperwork put together. Yeah, explain that to me. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to get in contact with you. So you'll want to have a – you know, your living will mm -hmm. basically. That's that's the, the form that says I don't want to be kept in a persistent vegetative state mm -hmm. basically. So if you don't want that, make sure you have that filled out. And that's writing. something – you said everybody over 18 should have that. Absolutely. And that's just as simple as what, contacting a lawyer or you can there's find, online documents. No, you can get the documents online, fill them out for free. 
Hmm. Um, once you do that, you have to have them notarized. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a notary, so nice. you can come see me. <laughs> I'll notarize them for you. Okay. And then uh, just put them on file with your hospital, your doctor, mm-hmm. uh, any any doctors you deal with. Um, okay. Make sure they have a copy of it. Mm-hmm. You can you can pay to have a lawyer look at it, but you don't for what you don't have. Yeah, to. I mean, unless you've got if there's big really assets. weird. Yeah, there's a lot of weird specific stuff, but for most like you know. People like you and I, that's yeah. not really necessary. Like I'm, I don't really care where my earrings end up. I really don't. I, I don't either. This one doesn't even have a backing. It's got a <laughs> pencil eraser on the back. <laughs> I love it. Which works. I have a, a beat-up old car in mm-hmm. my house. Yeah. My husband can have those. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I, I do tell my husband, like, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry if I go because you're getting nothing out of me. <laughs> you know. Same. My earrings, you can have hey, those. To see with the pencil eraser. With the pencil eraser. Mm-hmm. And if it goes away, you can just replace it. Ta-da! Because you got my pencils in the inheritance <laughs> as well. That's awesome. So, like a living will, and then yeah. what else do people have to uh, think about? So, and it depends on each individual. Mm-hmm. Um, if somebody is a recently diagnosed with Alzheimer's mm-hmm. or dementia of any type, I would recommend a guardianship. Mm. Typically. A lot of these things aren't really necessary if you're married and you have a good relationship with your spouse Mm -hmm. because they will be the one that medical staff will go to to make your decisions. If you are still legally married to somebody else and you don't like them anymore, I would recommend getting divorced, but that's not my place to say that. (laughs) No judgment. Um, But you might, if if you're not married at all or in the case of um, if you're in a domestic partnership, you know, regardless of of sexual preference – if you're just a domestic partner and you don't have that legal obligation to mm-hmm. each other, you might want to fill out a guardianship paperwork okay. so that they have guardianship over you, mm-hmm. uh, especially if you're a stranger to their family, um, which sense. is an unfortunate thing I yeah. deal with with yeah. LGBTQ plus mm-hmm. community. Mm-hmm. Um, if they are estranged from their family and they have a partner that they're not married to, um, there can be a lot of stickiness there. Mm-hmm. And their family could come in and make all sorts of terrible decisions right. for them. So a guardianship is kind of the Guardianship is good. That'll, then that person will be your legal guardian. Nobody mm-hmm. else can take care of you but that person um, unless they sign over guardianship to someone else. Mm-hmm. Um, the living will is the persistent vegetative state form. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that's the uh, I can't make medical decisions on my own. And that's typically more of a if there is absolutely no chance of you regaining consciousness again. Mm-hmm whether or not to just keep you plugged into machines forever or unplug you. And there have been cases of that. Yeah. Wasn't there a woman that was like years and years mm-hmm. of that and yeah. just for no reason? Yeah. I mean, there was one, I know of at least one, and there have been two or three, I think, where somebody's been in a vegetative state for like 20 years and then they wake up one day. It has happened. So yeah. I think that's why there's so many people out there that are terrified mm-hmm. to, you know, quote unquote, pull the plug on their mm-hmm. loved ones. They're like, what if they'd come back? And that's not my that's not it's, my choice to make. No. That's up to the individual. But I would at least caution you to think: What are the odds of them coming back? Right. And what are you waiting for? Uh, exactly. And if they do come back, what kind of shape are they going to be in? Mm-hmm. If they've been that's twenty know, years. It's a long time. And that's a lot of money. Oh my gosh! Yeah. To have somebody. Do you think there. that that's why a lot of times the hospitals want to? Continue even though, or is, I know that's probably uh, a dicey get a little, question. I know. I hate to get tinfoil hat, but sometimes, yes. Yeah. I wouldn't say all hospitals are like mm-hmm. that. They absolutely are not. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're, I have no doubt in my mind. Mm-hmm. Then this is another thing that I deal with, with people who are in cancer treatment currently, mm-hmm. who might be seeking out me because they might need me one day, whatever. They just want some guidance. But their doctors are telling them, well, no, we can try this treatment and this mm-hmm. treatment and this, there's like 30 more treatments we can try. 
and me to step in and say, you can say no. Hmm. You're allowed to say no. Yeah. Most people just blindly listen to their doctors, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. And doctors do want to make you better, but they also view death as a failure. True. So, and again, not all doctors. Yeah. <laughs> there are plenty of doctors out there who would be more compassionate yeah. and tell you, we can dry all these other treatments. They might prolong your life by another month, and it's going to be agonizing. Or we can start palliative care or hospice. Mm-hmm. And you can have, you might be gone a month sooner, but it'll be easier on everybody. What's the difference between palliative care and hospice? So hospice <clears throat> is if you have a prognosis of six months or less and there's no more treatment available. Okay. Palliative care is if there is a diagnosis of a disease. It doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. have to be terminal, but it could be life ending. Okay. But there's no prognosis. As, I mean, it could be like like ALS. Mm-hmm. Sometimes uh, those go that can go on for many many years. Dementia, things mm-hmm. like that. They can start palliative care at any time, and it's it's comfort care. It just helps make everything a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. So then, when they're doing that with palliative care or hospice, then you are on the side of sort of caring for the person, mm-hmm. less the medical. Correct. Okay. Yeah. The and a lot of people say, well, why don't I just use hospice for what you do? It's like hospice doesn't do what I do. Mm-hmm. Um, they don't have time, really. No, they do don't. They? they don't. And social workers have the same knowledge I do. Mm-hmm. Most of the knowledge I do, as far as options, but they also have fifty clients, and they can spend ten minutes with you once a week. Mm. Whereas I can come in and hang out with you for three or four hours a week, mm-hmm. or every other day if you need me to. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna be the one to hold your hand and make sure your favorite candle is lit. Mm. Hospice might do that. Yeah, a lot of hospice yeah. nurses I know are amazing individuals, mm-hmm. and they would do things like that, but they might not be able to be there 24 seven. Right. Most times they're in and out three four times a week, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And they're there for maybe an hour. So so what? I know there's no typical thing that you do, but how do you start the process? Somebody contacts you and says, we, you know, our, our father is not going to make it much longer. They bring you in. What do you do? Like, what are the first things? I'll sit down with the whole family together and figure out what everybody wants, like Mm -hmm. what our ideal situation is going to be. Also find out, has hospice started? Mm. Do we need to get that set up? If not, I will help educate them on how to pick the correct hospice they want. Um, it's, you shop around. I always tell people shop Interesting. around. Yeah, it sounds weird. You're like, you just call. The, there's like 30 hospices in Columbus alone. Really? Oh, yeah. So that's <laughs> there's not a, lot. a medical thing. They're just like, here's your hospice yeah. care. You there are, I mean, decide. like Ohio Health has yeah. hospice. I volunteer with them. Um, uh, what uh, Mount Carmel has mm-hmm. hospice. But there are also individual hospice companies. Some are for-profit, some are non-profit. So I can help you with, like, what questions should you ask to figure out which one's going to be right for you mm-hmm. um, and how, you know, all that will work out. But so once I know if hospice is set up and they have some type of care plan that way, medical care plan, mm-hmm. I'll make sh- I'll talk to the dying person individually then later and say, mm-hmm. like, what do you want? Mm-hmm. Who do you want here? Who do you not want here? Is your daughter a pain in your ass? Do you want me to kind of keep her out of the room as much yeah. as possible? Because sometimes they won't say that in front of their family. Right. They won't say, I'm tired of my daughter holding my hand all the time. I want to be left alone for a mm-hmm. while. So I can step in and say, your mom loves you, but you need to give her a break. <laughs> Have you dealt with that? Uh, once or twice, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not as often as you would think. Mm-hmm. Um, most people are happy to just be together as much as they can. Mm-hmm. I've had one client who said, I, I don't want anybody in the room. I want to be completely alone. Okay. Fair enough. Sounds it's great. It's their life. I exactly. Mean, and that's it's you only get to die once. So let's do it the way you which want. Which is a good thing. Yeah. I'm glad that those are the stats with that. Yeah. So, so I'll I'll get the the death plan, so to speak, together mm-hmm. with the dying person as far as like, you know, visitation. Do you want like 
the windows open? Do you want light? Do you want no light? You know, mm-hmm. all the little things mm-hmm. that just make it peaceful for them. So when they are not responsive anymore, I make sure things are still going the way mm-hmm. they prefer. Um, if they're still, you know, com- able to comprehend enough, I'll have them do a little life review with me. A lot of times mm-hmm. people are scared. Oh, yeah. Right? Even if they know, like, I've been fighting cancer for 15 years. I'm done. I'm ready to go. But they're still scared. Mm -hmm. It's like, let's talk about what you're scared of. Let's find out why. Let's work on your anxiety a little bit. But I also want to make sure people die prepared. Mm -hmm. I don't want anybody to feel like I never got to do this one thing or I have this brother I never spoke to. Let's write some letters, Mm -hmm. you know, help them with any unfinished business they want to get done. Yeah. Probably not like jumping out of a airplane. No, no. The odds are probably it's not going to happen. Uh, it might. I it don't might. know. But um, that might be the end. But. Yeah. <laughs> Just help them process their own grief of their yeah. own mortality. Yeah. And I work with a family a lot on grief support too. Okay. So you start grieving long before that process is oh, yeah. done. Yeah. Anticipatory grief. So is it mostly people? Because I'm trying to like reflect on my own. If that were to happen, mm-hmm. are people mostly scared of being in pain? Yeah. Okay. The biggest thing is uh, scared of the pain, Mm -hmm. Uh, what happens after, Mm -hmm. you know, because none of us know. So uh, that's usually- How do you deal with that? Yeah. That's like the number one thing is like, I don't know what's going to happen to me. And I always ask the question, well, what do you want? Not what do you think will happen. Right. What do you want to happen? Right. If you can envision, you you know, your, your brain stops, you close your eyes for the last time. What happens next? Tell me the perfect scenario. Mm. And I will just let them kind of go through what they think it is, and I remember it all. So when they're in that state and they're panicking, I might do a little, like, meditation or creative visualization to mm-hmm. bring them back to that perfect spot. Mm. Be like, let's, you know, let's smell that ocean air because, like, let's say their perfect spot is they're going to be in the ocean or mm-hmm. on a beach with their family. It's like, let's go back to that beach. Do you smell the ocean? Do mm. you hear the waves? Do you hear the birds? You know, who's holding your hand, the warm sand? Just try to get them in that space yeah. as best I can. Right. Uh, that helps the anxiety so much. Oh, I could imagine. <laughs> well, we should do that now. <laughs> you know, where's yeah. your happy place now? I know. Yeah. Oh. Uh, is it hard? That's a lot. Uh, yes, it can be sometimes. Yeah. It depends on the client. Um, I'm sure you get to know people really well. Yeah. Yeah. I had one client who um, she died earlier this year, and uh, I didn't. I knew of her. Mm-hmm. I didn't really know her personally when I started working with her, but I just loved her so much. She was such a dynamic person, and um, watching her die was hard, but watching her daughter watch her die was harder. So her daughter had a real hard time with it. And when she when she passed, I had to go out in my car and cry for a little bit. Yeah. And that's okay. I'm, I'm a human being. Right. I'm yeah. going to have feelings, too. Yeah. <laughs> so oh, yeah. I, yeah. I definitely cried when she passed. Yeah. I just I, I could not do what you do. It, that's most people say that. I I bet you could if it was somebody you loved. True, true. But to have you know to learn a stranger and to see yeah. the family and that's that's a very intimate place for you to be. In very much so. Yeah, I'm always honored that anybody oh, yeah. wants to have me in such an intimate space. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the most. <laughs> yeah. For a family, like that's the most. That's I mean, honestly, I feel like birth doulas must feel the same way because. What an intimate moment there, mm-hmm. you know, like to have all the, the medical things going on, but bringing a whole new life into the world and to have a more or less a stranger mm-hmm. be part of that is, wow, what an honor. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I personally find birth very icky, but <laughs> so is death, you know? So do I. I and I had two of them. So I'm sorry. <laughs> that, you know, it happened. They're still here. Do you, is there any part of the job that's like the hardest part of it? Um, 
dealing with a lot of the paperwork can be obnoxious. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't mind helping people with mm-hmm. it, but getting the answers to all their, like, little questions about, like, oh, God, he had this bank account we had no idea, mm-hmm. and he's gone now. What the hell do I do about that? Yeah. And trying to guide them through the process of navigating. I'm not a lawyer either, so a lot of times I have to yeah. get to a point where I'm like, guys, I can't help you anymore. Yeah. You're going to have to call an attorney for this. jeez. Oh, um, but overall, like, there are very few aspects of this job I don't like. I haven't yet encountered serious conflict. Mm-hmm. Um, I know it happens. You'll have that one family member that's like, I don't want hospice. I don't want them to have any help. They're fine. They don't need anything because mm-hmm. they're refusing to mm-hmm. admit their person is dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't personally experienced that, but I've heard awful horror stories I'm of sure. other doulas who have. I feel like, though, if people are contacting you that they care yeah. enough. Oh, yeah. Because I mean, it is an extra step. Yeah. You know, on top of hospice, they mm-hmm. people probably don't know about yeah, it. It's one more thing. How do you do? You know other doulas in town? Like I is, do. Is it? A, yeah. How many people do this? So in Columbus, I know of three, four fully practicing doulas like myself. There, mm-hmm. there might be a couple more that I don't know about. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are other people I know of that live here that have been through the training. Okay. Uh, a lot of people go through the training because they have a parent that's. Older or mm-hmm. uh, or a spouse even that might have just been diagnosed with something and they just want to have more skills to help work through that. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of hospice nurses go through this training too, just yeah. to learn what else they can do to kind of help the family. Um, but yeah, as far as I know, like fully practicing, there's only like three or four of us here. It's just not something you hear about. No, you hear about birthing doulas mm-hmm. and all the time, and that's kind of that's kind of a struggle point for me right now because right. I'd like to get more clients. You're like, you know, hi, you go through this too. Yeah, uh-huh. that's I try to. I have my podcast, so I, mm-hmm. I get that information out there too. But I try to do speaking engagements. I try mm-hmm. to go places where I can inform, like senior centers, nursing homes, to mm-hmm. inform people that this is something that exists. You can have this extra help, and you think it's probably because people just don't want I, to deal with it. Correct. I would assume. Yeah. Because it's not something I want to think right. about. Right. Well, and like I speak to people our age, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm like, yeah, I do this. They're like, that's neat. I don't need you. Don't do you though? Do you? You're again. We're going back to that mortality rate. Yeah. Of humans. Yeah. Sometimes it's just a matter of having somebody like remind you, hey, you're gonna die one day, and mm-hmm. you might want to have some stuff planned out ahead. Right. Of time. <laughs> right. Um. But also, like, we're in that awful mm-hmm. spot of the sandwich generation. Yep. We've got dying parents and kids, mm-hmm. possibly grandkids. Yep. Um, that's a lot to it's take a lot. on. It's that a lot. is a lot to take on. I think, it, you know, like the 40s, that's when you start mm-hmm. like, oh. Yeah. Over the hill. Okay, oh, cool. I know, right? That's <laughs> all right. I'm with you. But, yeah. you know, we start to think about, oh, this is the time that our parents are dying. We yeah. see friends' parents dying. And... Yep. Yeah. Just <sighs> in the past, like, four years, I can't count how many people I've known their parents have passed away. Mm-hmm. Uh, mine are still with me, thank God. Yeah. But my dad's having some health issues and mm-hmm. just little things that come up, and it just yeah. reminds you, like, they're not going to live forever. They're not. And it's hard. It is. And we don't want to deal with it, but it's it's real. And mm-hmm. it's so interesting timing. So I, I do a Parkinson's play, a play about Parkinson's with oh, my friend and Matthew. Um, and just a lot of the premise of the play is knowing the person as a whole. Yeah. And knowing how to navigate the entire patient. And a lot of what we love to do is get this in front of medical professionals, Mm -hmm. saying to them, like, this is a whole person. Yeah. It's not just the diagnosis. It's not just this treatment. It's Mm -hmm. not just this therapy that we're working on. Yeah. It's a person. And they have emotions and fears. And Mm -hmm. I'm assuming you've seen the play or read the script for Wit. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Yep. That's, that's a big one. That's, that's a, a big one. That's a hard one because, uh-huh. man, that poor woman is treated oh, like an yeah. object for uh-huh. that whole show. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's a big thing that bothers me. Mm-hmm. Like, they're more than just their cancer. They're right. a human. Mm-hmm. They had kids, siblings, mm-hmm. a whole life, a job, mm-hmm. you know. It's not. They're still a person. They are still a person. <laughs> at the end of the day. Absolutely. Absolutely. What, where do you want to go with this? I mean, just to continue and. Yeah, I just, I love what I do. Mm-hmm. And um, at some point I would like to get, like, this is years down the road, but I know more and more people are going through these trainings and are passionate about doing this. I'd love to have a collective together mm-hmm. of doulas that mm-hmm. we can, you know, tag team around. <laughs> oh, Yeah. And and be with these. I would love to, at some point, if I could, have a nonprofit so I can work in nursing homes mm-hmm. and provide this type of service pro bono. Yeah. You know, I would love to be able to do this for free, but I have a mortgage. Right. <laughs> yeah, right. I like yeah, eating fair. food fair. and <laughs> having electricity. <laughs> Those... I know it sounds greedy of me, but. I know. So greedy. <laughs> so awful. Oh, my gosh. You need uh, the lights on? <laughs> I know. I'm what? the worst. Legit the worst. But, um <laughs> If I could, if I could, like, if I could have this, you know, paid back to Medicare or Medicaid. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of a double-edged sword, you right. know, because if it's be- a new regulated industry, then that could really tie my hands on what I can and can't do. Do you feel like it's growing? I think so. Okay. Not as quickly as I feel like it should, mm-hmm. um, but I feel like it's growing. But honestly, like, we can't grow too fast because if we have 30 doulas in Columbus and, like, six people a year that want to hire one, yeah, it's that's true. We're at that point now where we just need to get more awareness out there, mm-hmm. that we, which is why I love doing stuff like this, yeah, <laughs> your podcast, no, so we can get people to know that, that we exist, who we are, and what it is we do. Yeah. Because it's it's a good thing. Absolutely. It's a sad thing. It is a very sad thing. But but let you know, let you handle the sad part, So and mm-hmm. I will handle all the crappy part. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, you know, I don't want to think about wills and no. – Nobody does paperwork. No, what what's in the right and what's like in it for me. <laughs> my husband joked with me when I f- was trying to explain to him too what all it is I do. He's like, "Oh, you're a stage manager." She's not that. That's really, not that far off. It's not far off because you know we're theater background. Mm-hmm. I'm a stage manager for death. So that's a really good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, that makes so much. So sense. for theater people like us, it, it makes a little more yes. sense. Yeah, yeah. I will stand there with my clipboard and make sm- sure mm-hmm. these people aren't coming in the room and yep. that <laughs> yep. people are taking the shoes off. Oh, my gosh. Whatever needs to be done. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Five. <laughs> Thank you, Five. <laughs> giving breaks. Giving Exactly. Giving breaks. Uh-huh. Um, and then once the person has passed, I obviously respect the family and let them spend as much time as they want. But mm-hmm. I can I can place the call to the funeral home to come pick up the body. Oh, wow. um, I can start the phone. Because nobody – I just was telling somebody the other day, I'm like – let me know when grandma passes. Mm-hmm. Give me a list of phone numbers so I can do mm. that. Because nothing is worse than when somebody close to you has just died and you have to repeat that over mm-hmm. and over and over again to how many different people on the phone. Yeah. Right? Yeah. When my brother passed away uh, in 2015 mm. and every time I had to tell somebody, like, I would just immediately yeah. start crying mm. and I'd have to rehash his death over and, and I got so tired of it. That's a lot. And it's like people have the right to know what happened, but at the same time, it's just like I can't keep talking about this. Mm-hmm. It's hard. So let let us do that. Right. You know? And then different people grieve in different ways, and somebody might take it really, really hard. Yeah. And then you have to deal with that. Yes. And then it. you're taking like, your grief. Yeah. And grief like, and oh, gosh. Like, I can't got heal that, you. If you have that one aunt that's going to lose her crap when her sister dies and mm-hmm. is going to scream and cry for 20 minutes on the phone, let me take that phone call so you don't have to. <laughs> those, I'll those listen are hard, to her. Those are they, hard phone calls. They are. They are. I mean, you've got to probably like every 
career that has some sort of challenge with mm-hmm. with this sort of thing, I'm sure you have to step back a little bit. And yeah. Not numb, oh, yeah. but yeah. You know, personally step out of things. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I can kind of like shut that part of me down for mm-hmm. a minute if I need to. You know, Man. I do bereavement calls for hospice that I volunteer for. So it's just calling people like a month or so after their person has passed away just to make sure they're okay mm-hmm. <laughs> and see if they need any extra support or want information on the support groups. But, mm-hmm. uh, I will sometimes get somebody that will talk to me for like 45 minutes and they're crying. They're not yeah. like, you know, losing it, but they're crying. They're upset. And they want to tell me all about that person's whole life. And I'm mm-hmm. like, I took this on. I volunteered yep. to do this. Yeah. But uh, I'm sure that you hear so many cool stories. Oh, I do. Oh, I do. Which is fascinating. And I again, do. that intimate part of mm-hmm. of somebody. I mean, what's, what's one of the coolest stories you've ever heard from somebody Oh, else? man. So... <laughs> I just, I spoke to this woman a few weeks ago who, I think it was her mom that had passed away. Mm. And I was like, hey, I just wanted to check in, see how you're doing today. And she's like, well, you picked the wrong day to call. And I was like, (laughs) oh, no. But then she started talking to me. She felt better. But she had lost like four people within a period of a week. Oh, geez. Like her mom, her husband's sister, uh, like a cousin. Like, I, I can't remember everything, but she was... Then she started talking about her mom, and her mom was like 102 when she died. This woman was very old. Wow. And she was talking all about her mom. She's like, oh, she went through this and this and told me her mom's entire life story. And it was just – it was really cool. Yeah. I didn't mind. No, but you get to be a part of something that maybe nobody else will. Yeah. And also that you are separate from everything. Yeah. So that – yeah. Some people, it's a little easier to open up to a total stranger sometimes because, mm-hmm. like, I don't want to talk to my mom about my feelings all the time. <laughs> I don't either. I don't mind, but yeah. it's like if I'm feeling something weird about something my parents, you know, with yeah. my parents, I don't yeah. want to talk to them about it. And yeah. sometimes it's easier to just tell somebody you barely know. Mm-hmm. Wow. What do you deal with mostly older folks then or have you yeah. dealt with all ages? Uh, I would say mostly older, but I, I mean – the last few clients I, I've had have been like barely sixty. Mm. It's okay. cancer. Yeah, you know, cancer. Cancer gets you, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but yeah. How can people find you? You have a podcast. I Tell do. me about your podcast. <laughs> uh, my podcast is called Good Grief with Nikki the Death Doula. Okay. It's mostly more focused on grief and bereavement. Um, mm. So I talk about all the different types of grief and grieving because that's another stigmatized subject. Mm-hmm. I could do a whole other thing on just grief. <laughs> we don't the get over it statement. Oh, don't get me started. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because grief isn't linear and it's messy and that's okay. It is something we don't want to deal with. It is. It very much is. I don't like grieving. I, nobody likes to grieve and nobody yeah. wants to talk about it. And when somebody else is grieving, like if you just lost your spouse and then I just, you know, I was listening to you talk about it. If you talked about day after day after day, sometimes it gets hard for people, mm-hmm. you know, and then we don't want to talk about it. So like I'm burdening them talking yeah. about my husband every other day. I don't care. You can talk to me all day long. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I do. But, uh, you know, some people just feel like they're burdening those around them with their grief. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe they are, maybe they're not, but who cares? Right. It's your grief. You're because it comes and goes. Yeah. Yeah. You're perfectly allowed to have whatever feelings you want. Right. So I go into all that with my podcast, mm-hmm. um, which is on Spotify, Apple, all the nice. things. Not Stitcher. Stitcher's gone. I don't know if you heard. <laughs> I don't know Stitcher. Stitcher went away. It's another podcast platform. It went yeah. away. Huh. I don't. Yeah. Again, I don't do the tech. <laughs> As you well have seen now, I don't do any of the tech on this. I do everything. I'm a one-woman show. You're so. a stage manager. <laughs> I'm a stage manager. Were you a stage manager in your uh, I had done it a few times. I like directing much better. Yeah. I, I like think telling I people could, what to do. I could not stage manage. 
I've I would done it a little, but it's chaotic. It's a lot of details. It is a lot. Of and you're you're on. You have to be mm-hmm. on all the time. Mm-hmm. I'm watching our amazing stage manager at the opera, and she's just like, "Oh God, I could laser focus." With all those moving pieces and parts. Oh, and no. All the music that's in, no. you know, French. Um, no. <laughs> uh-uh. Stage managers, no, we thanks. love you. Yeah. Seriously. Great, amazing humans. You are children of God. They really, <laughs> they really are. So you have your podcast. Yeah. How else can people find you? You have an amazing website. Oh, thank you. Way, yeah, NikkiTheDeathDoula.com. Mm-hmm. And my name is N-I-K-K-I. Yes. So I know there's 20 different ways to spell That's Nikki. True. <laughs> so I always specify that. N-Y-C-K. And, uh, <laughs> Silent Q. Silent yeah. Q and an M. Uh-huh. Why an M? I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's NikkiTheDeathDoula.com. And there's my podcast is linked on there, too, okay. and all my socials and everything. That's so cool. Yeah. I, I love what you're doing. I Thank you. I recommend I do too. you to. Yeah. <laughs> but you're doing it out of passion too. Yeah. I mean, you are not hospice. You're not doing a job because that's what you're paid needing to do. To do. Yeah. yeah. This is this is a choice and this is Absolutely. A, I'm doing this because I love it. Yeah. Such a beautiful but hard thing. And Absolutely. I think you're right there. Like the take the stigma out of Absolutely. out of bereavement. Take and, the stigma out and take some of the sting out of it yeah. too. You know? Because you're gonna go through it. Okay. Everybody's gonna go through oh, it. Oh yeah. I've been through it, and I know how awful it was. Mm-hmm. So knowing that there could be somebody out there that can help help hold my hand through the process, mm-hmm. you know, oh, that's so cool. It's amazing. Oh. Feel better? I do. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. <laughs> Glad I can help. No, it, it, you do help, and, and I love that. I love it. Keep doing what you're doing. And thanks for thanks for chilling with us. Yeah. Thanks Thank for you. also helping me with my bathroom fears. You're welcome. Let's start working on that. Okay. I maybe won't lock the front door. As I say, maybe just. <laughs> Like, leave the door, a, a, like, half unlocked. But if Work I do baby that, steps. Baby steps. If I do it at home, the dog will nudge the door and That's just true. come right on in. So but now we're back at the animal. My cat tries to sit in my lap when I poop, so. Are you serious? Yeah. I'll I try you, to jump up. I'm like, no, 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 that's a lie. I think your cat may be needing somebody I, to talk to. I think, I think my cat's got some issues. I would agree. <laughs> Nikki, thank you. So You're much. welcome. <laughs> Foxland Media. Think big.